The following audio is from the chapel at Fishhawk. More information about the chapel at Fishhawk is available at www.thechapelfh.org. This morning we're in 1 Corinthians chapter 7, and even though this passage is not explicitly tied to the concepts of sex and God, it's talking about relationships, but but really what Paul is going to drive home this morning is something uh, a little bit more different, a little bit big picture for us. And this is the last part of this current series about sex and God, and then we're going to break and jump into uh, season three in the new year. So as you're flipping there, I do need to, to tell you guys a couple of things. One is, for about a year now, I've been primarily using an electronic Bible, and, uh, and I'm quitting that. I'm quitting the electronic Bible. Now, a problem that I had was, as I was test driving Bibles to get, I, I wanted to try this new translation, and I know a bunch of you have b- purchased the ESV. I love the ESV. I will still read it every single day. The version that I'm test driving for 2020 is called the CSB, and some of you might be saying, why are there so many different Bible translations? Well, here's the reason why. The Bible's written in primarily two languages with a third one sprinkled here and there, and English translators try to translate the Bible so that we, modern people who don't read these old languages, can read and understand it. And there are some translations that are perfect for nerdy people like me. Like the ESV is one where they take a Greek word and they say, what's the best English word for that Greek word? And then they just plug it in. And then there's other translations like the NLT, the New Living Translation, or the NIV, and they say, okay, here's a thought. How can we translate this thought best? So one is word for word and one is thought for thought primarily. The CSB lands right in the middle. It's a little easier to read, and that's part of the reason why I want to explore test driving this translation for 2020, because I've found that sometimes when you give the version that I like out of my nerdy Bible school brain, you give it to somebody who's brand new in the Lord, and it doesn't read like regular English. You would never pick up a magazine or a book and have it read and sound like that. The the structures of the sentences are all different. So that's why we're doing this one. You'll notice in your bulletin that today's text is on the back of your bulletin, and there's little perforated cheat sheets. I want you guys to use those. There's a part on there that has a memory verse. There's a part where I want you to list down people to pray for, and that will be there each week. Something for us to develop as a church family, to be focused on living for God and the other 95% of our lives. So be sure to do that. And if you're someone that skips the bulletin every week, you lose. So you lose. And the other bulletin getters, they win. Because we only have got 96 of them because I literally, um, I messed up a bunch of bulletin printings this week. That's it. You guys ready? Are you there? Are you in 1 Corinthians? I talked long enough for you to get to 1 Corinthians chapter 7, verse 25. So we're going to pray. And then we're going to jump into the word of God this morning. Lord, I am grateful that you've given us such direction in the Bible, that you talk to us about things that we deal with in our daily lives, things like relationships and marriages, things like dating and romance. And today, Lord, you're going to speak to us about time and contentment and being focused. Lord, I pray that that you would be exalted in our lives this week. And we pray, Lord, for everything that's going on um, in the lives of the chapel family, for those who are in need of healing, who have surgeries upcoming, that you would be present in the midst of worry and anxiety. Father, we pray for the family locally here who just lost their teenage son uh, to to an awful accident. I pray that you would comfort that family that you would comfort the friends of that young man at uh, Newsom High School and the friends that he knows in this community. 
Lord, time is in your hands. And sometimes we forget that. and We think that we govern our lives. Teach us today, O oh Lord, to be focused. Teach us today, God, to be content. Teach us today, God, what it means to be your people. In Jesus' name, all God's kids said, amen, amen, amen. Okay, by a show of hands, how many of you have a subscription to Netflix? Whoa, they're making some money. By a show of hands, how many of you still have cable television? Just curious. That's really nothing to do with the sermon. Okay. By a show of hands, how many of you have a Disney Plus subscription? Okay. There's all the neophiliacs. Um, by a show of hands, how many of you guys love the YouTube? Anyone of y'all love the YouTube? Okay. And this is just for me and like two other people. By a show of hands, who loves TikTok? My people. <laughs> My people. Um, one more thing I just have to say. You might have noticed that I moved these tables up to the front. I noticed that the talkative teenagers were always sitting at these tables when they were in the back. So I moved the tables up to the front so I could stare at them like an angry fifth grade teacher. And I'm going to put this down on my nose so you know I'm serious. But now, I know you never had. You're a sweet person. I wasn't talking to you. <laughs> yeah. So here we are. Uh, the reason I ask that is because you're going to see in this passage there's a lot of talk about attention. There's a lot of talk about focus. And if there's any culture in the world that has lacked in focus, it's our culture. We have more messages broadcast to us every day than any culture has ever had throughout history. There, there's a reason why we're all on our phones. I, I think it's uh, annoying but it's common when I'm driving down the freeway and this is what I see. Somebody driving and looking at their phone, not realizing they're going 35 miles an hour, merging onto the 75. I'm not angry about it. I'm just saying I've seen it. I don't know what the laws are here. Maybe there's a law enforcement agent that can tell me what the official laws are on the highway. As far as I knew, you're not supposed to text and drive. Is this a law in Florida? Okay, are you allowed to call and drive? Hands-free. Are you allowed to call without hands-free and do mascara and drive with your knees, asking for a friend? Okay. Now, we've all seen this. And we're like, yeah, those people are dumb. Some of those people are sitting right next to you, the texters and drivers. We have people that ride motorcycles here. I fear for them. I don't understand how people ride motorcycles whilst Floridians drive cars. It's not a safe move. Jesse, <laughs> this is a very applicable sermon for certain people. And now in the context of relationships, Paul's going to highlight some of these big picture ways of living that are very pertinent for us today. In verse 25, he begins, this is, if you're scrolling through your Bibles and the glow of God's word is upon your chin, this is the CSB, the Christian Standard Bible, if you wanted to follow along that way. If not, it's on the back of your bulletins. Now about virgins, I have no command from the Lord, but I do give an opinion as one who by the Lord's mercy is faithful. Because of this present distress, I think that it is good for a man to remain as he is. Are you bound to a wife? Do not seek to be released. Are you released from a wife? Do not seek a wife. However, if you do get married, you have not sinned. 
And if a virgin marries, she has not sinned, but such people will have trouble in this life, and I am trying to spare you. This is, <laughs> this is Paul trying to give very practical advice. And he says this very odd phrase. He says, I have an opinion. Now, at the time Paul was writing this, I don't know that Paul knew he was writing a book of the Bible. I don't think the biblical authors, most of the time in the New Testament, were thinking, you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to write a book that will last forever. What they did was they, they wrote these, and they were circulated around churches, and the church leaders prayed, and they said, this feels like Scripture. This feels like the Scripture that God inspired in the Old Testament. And then they began talking and sharing these letters with the other churches outside of the original audience. And in this moment, Paul's saying, look, I've got some advice for you. And this is advice because of God's mercy. I have become faithful to God, and I want out of my knowledge to share with you something. This world is going to be under a lot of distress. And this is 2,000 years ago. In light of that, just be content with where you are and root your life in God's mercy. Live your life in such a way that you trust God and you trust his mercy for your life, whether you're going through good times or bad times, difficult times or times of ease, and then do things that you believe will bring honor to God. It's, it's weird when the Bible talks like this. And you have to understand something. At the time Paul is writing this, Paul, like many of us, believed that Christ's return was coming any moment. Because the Bible says Christ's return will be any moment. One of my favorite stories from my, I, I've picked up from my wife's side of the family is, is every day after school, and this is you, right? It wasn't, it wasn't, was it grandma or was it you? You would run home from school. I'm talking to you, mother-in-law, right? Your grandma, yeah, Grandma Hillstrom, would run home from school every day because she didn't want to be apart from her mother when Jesus' rapture occurred. Right? Like, my kids, I need to put that fear into them because I can't figure out where they are. I see kids going, they're coming home, they're all walking by my house. I'm like, where are my children? And then one of my kids will walk in, and I'm like, where are your siblings? And then another one walks in, and then literally, fast forward 60 minutes, I'm like, where is my third child? And I should be a better parent than this, but I'm not. You know, I just think, if somebody kidnapped that one, I'm okay for right now. I just need a little break, and they can deliver them back later. They're usually at some neighbor's house, I think. But, but it's weird because this, this idea that Jesus' return would guide how we live is sometimes so far removed because we have all of the creature comforts. We have a shower that warms up. We have indoor plumbing. We have Netflix when we get bored. We, we struggle reading books. We just want to listen to the news. Then we want to go outside. Then we want to take a nap. And I am with you 100%. I love it. My kids know a phrase that I say often. I just say, Daddy needs peace right now. I need peace. Daddy, can you play with me? Can you play with me? They crawl up on me like I'm some sort of jungle gym. Can I sit in your lap? Can I do this? Daddy, daddy, let's do this. Daddy, can I draw on your board? Daddy, can we do this? Daddy, can we go here? Daddy, can we do this? Daddy, give me all your money. All of these phrases I hear daily. And I say, just go out of my office. I need peace. I wonder how much different my life would look if I was that little girl always anticipating and being ready, like the Bible calls us to, for the return of the Lord. I wonder how that would change my marriage, because in Paul's case here, he's saying, look, it could be so soon, so if you're married, just stay married. If your life is in a tough place, just keep grinding through it. If your life's in a place where things are going well, just stay the course. 
Because something is coming. This, this world is in distress and the end is nigh. And I, I wonder what it would be like if we had the heart of that little girl who would be so aware that the, the Lord's return is coming that they would run home because they wanted so badly to be with their mom when the rapture came. In the book of 1 Corinthians, it's one of the earlier books written, Paul rushes through some of these topics. And you see later in the book of Ephesians, for example, Paul's like, okay, wait, Jesus might not have been coming when I thought he was coming, so I need to give more instruction. But in this book, there's an urgency. We need to, in our lives, make sure that we are living with this urgency and that it's rooted in God's mercy. There are so many times where I hear people say, who should I marry? Who should I date? When I was a young adults pastor, this was literally my entire ministry. This is a bunch of late teens and 20-year-olds into your early 30s. And every single month, someone would come up and tell me, Pastor Ryan, will you just pray about this person? I think they might be the one. Can you pray for this person? I think they might be the one. Can you pray for this person? They might be the one. And there was one person uh, who I just told. I said, bro, you've had at least seven ones since I've known you. Just pick one and do what I've put a ring on it. Like I've, I preached the sermon to them like I preached to you. If they're running after God and they're on mission for him and you like the way that they look and act, put a ring on it. They're going to change anyway, so you might as well just try to work it out. Okay. And, and here's why we have this freedom. We have this amazing freedom. If we're living with an awareness that Jesus is coming soon, we don't have to be as concerned with, does God want me to wear the black button down today or the blue button down? Does God want me to turn left here or right here? And there will be moments where God may say, turn left here or right there. There, there may be moments where God says, don't wear this shirt or that shirt. But I think those are far and few between. For the most part, we have to trust that God's mercy that is paid for our sins, that is purging us of wrong thinking, behavioral issues in our lives. God's mercy is upon us so that we have the ability to, when we see something that we believe will honor God, pursue that and press into that. And when we make bad choices, trust that God's mercy has already gone before us and forgiven us of that. The, the test that I use is very simple. Uh, and this is something that I stole from some preacher and he stole it from some preacher before him. Whatever robs me of affection for Jesus, just do those less. Take those out of your life. And whatever stirs up your affection for Jesus, do those more. It's a very simple concept, but when you apply it, it becomes frightening. This week I applied it, and it became terrifying. Now the one good thing that I had going for me this week was that the Lord had ordained that I would get a new Bible. And I'm going to just confess something. When I get Bibles, I get a little weird, okay? I smell my Bibles a lot. And no one in my family would join in, except the one person that is in my family that I think shares the same weird DNA. Because I got this Bible, and it's one of these fancy leather ones that lasts longer than my other ones that fall apart, the fake leather. So I'm sniffing it. And I go up to my wife, I'm like, babe, smell this Bible. You get that away from me. And I go to all my kids, smell this Bible. You guys just smell it. Listen to the pages as they unfurl from their silver bondage. And I'm, I'm like loving it. I'm rubbing it on my face after I clean my face. I'm like, oh, it feels so good. The only people who would smell my Bible were Bella because she's one and has no choice. She's like, smell that. Don't you love that? And she's just like, huh. that's all she does anyway. Uh, I think she thought it was some sort of beef jerky. And then, uh, and then my mother-in-law came over, and I know that uh, 
in our lives, I've recommended Bibles to her, and she's gotten them. And I'm like, Melody, smell that. And she smells. She goes, oh, it smells so good. I was like, right? And because of that nerdiness, I'm like, you know what? It's a new translation. I've been test driving this with, like, a version that I got earlier. I like it. I'm just going to start reading it. I'm just going to read it cover to cover um, just so I can soak myself in it. So it was easy for me to be distraction-free because there was something that stirred up my affections. And you might say, did you really need another Bible? Probably not. Need would not be the correct word. But there's something for me that when I get a new Bible, oh, it's, it's like when you get to show up at someone's house and everything is ready for you to just destroy and eat and have a merry time. That used to be my mom's house or my in-law's house. We moved to Florida. We've been moving people here. And guess where all the holidays are at now? My house. So I have to, every single holiday, slave away on the couch and watch my wife work herself to the bone. I offer to help, but I've strategically messed up enough things in my life to disqualify myself from holiday cookings. I'm in charge of toasting bagels. Now it's, for me, the, this idea though, it's like that feast. And, and what is it for you that makes you want to put away all of the things that are here to distract us? Because we have so much that is here to distract us. It, you can binge watch shows until your eyes are bloodshot. You can just watch show after show after show. Now, who's with me? Anyone that's over my age. You guys remember the glorious tension of having to wait until next week for another episode? Yeah. Hey, young people, we used to have to endure these things called commercials. They taught us patience. You want to know how bad I am now? I pay for a higher tier Hulu plan so I don't see commercials. And then we wonder why sometimes it's so hard to slow down enough to read a book. And I get it. I need to point out the spiritual dynamic that happens, though. There is never been a moment in my life where I pick up something to read about football news. I'm like, I'm just going to read about the Steelers, the greatest comeback team in the NFL this year. And I could read and read and read and read every Monday morning. I spend hours consuming video and reading news stories about a game that I watched myself and already know about. But I just love it. I just love it. And there is not a thought in my mind. As soon as I pick up the Bible, every thought, every distraction, everything that could possibly get my eyes off of this page and onto something else begins flooding in. And if you think that is not a spiritual battle, if you think that's not spiritual warfare, you are out of your mind. Paul wants us to live, whether we're thinking about our relationships, whether we're thinking about our individual lives, whether we're thinking about our work life, whatever it is, he wants us to live with an urgency. He says, whatever's going on, this world is in distress. And whatever trouble you have, it's not going to last forever, but you need to press in. You need to press in. This is what he says in verse 29. This is what I mean, brothers and sisters. The time is limited. So from now on, those who have wives should, this is where it gets weird, be as if they had none. Those who weep, those who weep as though they did not weep. 
those who rejoice as though they did not rejoice, those who buy as though they didn't own anything, and those who use the world as though they did not make full use of it. For this world in its current form is passing away. Is there an urgency to your life with God? This is one of those passages where, where Paul is doing something that Jesus did. He said, if you love me, you must hate your mother and father. Seems like very stark words. Jesus is trying to paint in that passage the contrast. Love for me and the importance that I must play in your life will be so vast, so great, so high, that your, your affections for your parents will look so low. Paul's saying, this time in this world is so limited. You need to just press in to living for God. If, you, if, you're, the, if you're weeping, just don't even weep. If you're married, just, just live for God and don't think about these other things. Paul's trying to drive this in because in Paul's mind, he said, right now is when the Lord Jesus is coming. Now, Paul goes on later in Ephesians to say, this is how husbands and wives ought to interact with each other. In this book, he's just saying, you run after God and you don't look back. You pin your ears back and you go. It's one of my favorite <laughs> types of videos. I, I like it when somebody gets so cocky in a race or some sporting event, and then they get imploded right before the goal line. So whether it's football or track, but I've seen it happen in track and football a lot. And here's what happens. You see a track runner running, and I can't emulate running right now because my legs neither work. But you see them running, and have you guys ever seen that moment where the track person thinks they're going to win before the race is over? And they do one of these things. They wave up their hand, and they're looking around. Yeah, I've got this. And then all you see, and I don't know why, but it's always a stark bald guy. I think it's aerodynamics. They just are hustling in, the number two guy, and they dip their head down, and the photo shot finish is great because it's one guy throwing up a number one finger, and then this guy winning with the crown of his head. And I love that. I love it because <laughs> there's this phrase that I use in my house. It's probably not beneficial for parenting or marriage. I, I say, oh, what a prideful sucker. What a prideful sucker. I say it to myself. I say it to my kids. I wouldn't dare say it to my wife. Don't be prideful. Prideful suckers. Pride comes before the fall. I say that all the time. Pride comes before the fall. You being prideful? You being prideful? That moment when you see pride just lose something really big. When you're celebrating in an untimely way. When you've lost your sense of urgency. Paul's trying to drive this point into our hearts. Time is limited. It's easy to, to know this. If you've lost someone, if you've been given a time allotment for something in your life, some of the most terrifying moments I've walked alongside people is when they get a time stamp for the rest of their life. You have six months to live. Everything changes in their world. Not one way of thinking, acting remains the same. In case you don't know this, every person here has a timestamp on their life. Every person. Now, you and I don't have the luxury of knowing it. If we did, I bet you it would be a little bit different. If we walked around and played the game that we play in my house, uh, which is clean out the pantry or clean out the medicine cabinet, and you look at expiration dates, 
if you want a fun little game, go try this today. Go through your medicine cabinet and read expiration dates. You're going to find vitamin B12 complex that expired in 2011. You're going to find Advil that you've been taking for weeks that was created in like 1985. At least that's what happened in my house. We had this marinara sauce packet expired over two years ago, just sitting around, just in case we wanted to just experiment with food poisoning. And imagine what would change in your life if above your head and the person's head next to you, to your left or right, you just saw an expiration date. What would you do if a friend or coworker or neighbor, you just saw like your expiration date is in 45 days? Like we should do something. Uh, this is it. And what would you do if your expiration date is above your head? Look at, okay, I've got this many days left. What will I do today? We've all heard the country song. We're going to ride a bull named Fu Manchu. We're going to go skydiving. This is dumb. Like go skydiving? Like you jump out and in midair your date changes to today? Why? Don't. Paul had such an urgency about his life. He's saying, look, I need you to know that time is so limited. Just run after God. And in our lives, we have to have these responsibilities. And Paul goes into that in the very next passage. Yes, there's going to be responsibilities. Yes, there's things to do. Yes, there's mortgages. And he says as much in his context. I want you to be without concerns. He's talking to these single people. Look, single people, if you can run after Jesus, just run. Because when you get married, you have concerns. I want you to be without concerns. The unmarried man is concerned about the things of the Lord, how he may please the Lord, but the married man is concerned about the things of the world, how he may please his wife. Now, that's not bad. That's good. The Bible says be concerned, be thoughtful. Wash, wash your wife with the water of the word. Lay down your life for your wife, husbands. But Paul's saying, this, this is going to divide some attentions. Now, some of you wives are like, I wish my husband would show me some concern. Someone just clapped once. But the married man is concerned about the things of this world. This is a tough one for me because I'm married. And there are concerns that you have. How are we going to do this? Where are we going to do that? How are we going to get here? I forgot to do this. There are concerns that I have with my wife and my children every single day. I think, man, how do I get my kid from point A to point B? How can I, how can I create and foster a nurturing, loving relationship with my wife in this season? I was just musing about that with Amy uh, because we had half of, half of her family moved in, um, her sister and one of their teenage sons. And the other half are going to be here next Wednesday, the husband and the other teenage son. And, um, and everyone else is like, well, how are you going to, where are you going to do your work with all these people in your house? I said, I'm going to leave my house. That's how I'm going to get work done. But the weird part is like, how do I interact with my wife with all these humans around? Like, I can't flirt the same way that I flirt with her now. Because now it's just my biological kids are around, and we know how to lock them away. Figuratively, don't call CPS. They're going to put them in the system, and they'll come right back to me. 
because I'm a foster parent. By the grace of God, help us all. Sorry. Now I'm going to be walking around, and my sister-in-law is going to be, like last night, I, I came downstairs, and my, my sister-in-law was laying in the middle of my rug in my living room. It just looked like when you shoot an animal and you lay out its skin. And she was just on her phone down there. I'm like, no one's done that before. It's weird for me. So I just walk around, and I was like, should I lay down there with her and, like, see how she's doing? Now, keep in mind, she's all of, like, five foot nothing. So she fits in that slot. I don't. So I lay down, and my, my feet are up on the couch. And I'm, hey, Julie, what you doing down here? Are you okay? I'm just looking at things, looking at food, looking at Walmart stuff. Okay. And then her husband's going to be in my house. And, and they have animals, you guys. And I'm so glad that, A, uh, they're, they were feeling not well, so they couldn't come this morning so I could talk freely about them. They have these animals, and I'm allergic to all animals. I hate cats. Cats are evil creatures, useless. They're not evil. I can't say that. God made them. They're probably good in their proper context, a.k.a. lions, mountain lions, etc. I, I don't like cats. I never have. And I had to build these things to contain cats, which I abhor. These giant, I call them cat dominiums. I don't know what they're really called. They're called catios. They're called catios. I had to build these things. I'm waking up, and I'm placeboed in. Because the cats, we put them in my in-law's garage, which is four miles away. It has not stopped me from waking up the past two mornings feeling like my allergies are starting. The cats are four miles away, but here's what I'm thinking. I'm thinking that my sister-in-law and my nephew, they're, they're going over there to these cats, and they're just like rubbing them on their face like a loofah, and then they're coming home, and they're just sprouting dander into my air conditioning ducts. That's what I'm thinking. Like, they're in my, in my room, like, we got a bag of fur, and they just duct tape it right to the AC. Let's kill Ryan now. This is in my mind. This is how sick I am. Now, the reason why this is crazy is because it's, it's throwing off so much of my rhythm. It's making me feel un uncomfortable. It's making me, like, ask, like, God, why would you have us buy the bigger house? Now, there's a theme there. Me, me, us, I. If your time is focused on Jesus, if your mission is focused on Jesus, if all that you think about is saying, what will make me love Jesus more, do that. What will, will make me love Jesus less, less, take that away. All of a sudden, things become very different. Because who really cares if I get allergies? I get to help somebody that needs. That's it's why we have gotten into a lot of the things we've gotten into. Because if God says, do this, then we should do that. If God says, love people, love people as though they have an expiration date because they do, then we should love people, not knowing. Say, I don't know what your date is, but I'm going to love you today. Because Jesus could return today. You could pass away, I could pass away today. And this is the drive that Paul is trying to speak into relationships, but it has a word for all of us. 
The Bible compares our life to a vapor or a breath or a flower that fades away in the fields. Like that's how fast it goes. Boom, boom, and then with God or not forever. So, be without concerns. You can let go of your concerns, these worldly concerns, put them on the most minimal degree. Say, I've got to get these things done to live and to serve God and to love others well. But after that, don't be concerned about the little things. Oh, no, what am I going to do? My car got dented. It wasn't even your car to begin with, nor is it now. It's the Lord's car he loaned you. Whoa, what am I going to do? I've got this thing going on. I've got, I can't pay this. I can't pay that. Let, let me tell you some amazing things. Last week in our annual meeting, I, I, ta- I told the chapel family, I said, here's what's going on. And I've been repenting of things all week. I've been trusting God and I've been pressing in and I got a new Bible to distract me from Netflix. And then God just started doing little things. We talked about like some money needs. And we're, 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 we run a very tightly, tight, tight budget. But we were some money short. I got a call from a business that, that we'd hired, and they just said, you know what? God's blessed us. We're, we're writing off everything the chapel owes us, thousands of dollars, just out of the blue. I didn't, like, ask. They don't know anything that's going on. I'm just, okay, Lord, I'm down for that. I'm down for that. This morning, got blessed by, by people. I've, I'm still paying off this, this dumb injury, and that's why I don't want to go to the doctor for this injury. Um, <laughs> it's just so funny because I'm like, we, we get, I got this surgery. Here's another bill to remind me. And then someone's like, you know what? The Lord put, put you on our hearts. We just want to help pay. Do you, what, what need do you have? Do you have anything? And they literally said, anything, like medical bills. Yes, me, me, Lord. Okay, done. It's just over and over and over and again. And here's what's amazing. It wasn't until I finally decided, Lord, I'm going to stop letting concern turn into worry and worry turn into anxiety and anxiety try to lead me down the path of depression. I'm going to stop it all. And I'm going to live like today is my last and I'm going to live for you as best I can today. And here's where it's hard. Sometimes watching a show, reading a novel is so much easier and they're not bad things. Remember, we are in God's mercy. You can sit down and watch shows. You can sit down and do absolutely nothing. There are people in the Bible who God commands, go take a nap and eat cake. That is God's call on Elisha's life after he did this amazing thing for God on a mountain. God says, sleep and eat. Some of you need to sleep and eat. Some of you have been sleeping and eating far too long, far too much. I'm just straight. Or substitute that with whatever it is. Grinding yourself to work to death. If I don't work, how how am I going to survive? God owns everything. Well, you don't, you don't understand. Like, I know you're a pastor, so you get to see these miracles. I am a human. You are a human. Elijah was a human. Elijah said, rain, stop. For three years, it didn't rain. And then God says, you and I are made up of the same stuff that he was made up of. And we just walk around like, oh, I don't know how this bill, this injury, this thing. Run after God. Put your ear to the word. Listen to the spirit. And trust and live as though God is in control because newsflash fam, he is. But we don't. We get concerned. The passage goes on. It says to the unmarried woman or virgin, 
they're concerned about they're concerned about the things of the Lord so that she may be holy in both body and spirit but the married woman is concerned about the things of the world how she may please her husband that's my life verse right now married women should be concerned about how to please their husband I pray spirit that you would apply this to a woman's heart in this room I am saying this for your own benefit not to put a restraint on you but to promote what is proper so that you may be devoted to the Lord without distraction. Whether you're married or unmarried, we must be devoted to the Lord with the least number of distractions possible. And I'm not going to turn into the fundy-bundy preacher that says, you know, I remember preachers tell me, you should not watch TV. TV is evil. And every new thing that comes along, the people who are a little bit older look at it and they're like, I can't believe that. This is leading our kids astray. Like literally in 2006, all of the older people were saying, Facebook is bad. Facebook is so bad. Look how it's messing up our generation. Guess what? Who's on Facebook now? Yeah, all those people. And now we look at the, the younger people. We're like, oh, look at them now. Like four years ago, look, they're on Instagram. What's Instagram about? It's just that you're putting your best picture, your fake self out there. Look, you can't do that Instagram. And look who's on Instagram now. It just keeps going down. And now I can say with confidence that anyone who has TikTok needs Jesus as their Lord and Savior. I have TikTok. And I need Jesus as my Lord and Savior every single day. Because they're distractions. And I'm not going to sit here and say TVs are bad, social media is bad, this is bad, this is bad. Here's what I'm going to say. God has given us an unprecedented, in all of history, unprecedented access to live for him in every area of our lives. To not be one person on Facebook, one person in our Bible study, one person at work, one person with our family, but to say, I'm going to press the message of God out with all of the tools that are at our disposal, and if there are tools that distract me from God, I'm going to delete them off my phone. I'm going to get rid of them. I don't even need them. It takes some self-control to do that. It takes some maturity to do that. We've all done it. We've all done it. And here's one thing that I know. I know it's not across the board, but in just a short period of time here, a bunch of you for 14 to 28 days are going to hit a different gear of living. And I see it every year. You know who's salivating right now? Gym membership people. They're just clawing at the bits to get their fingers into you for $36 a month so that you can sit at home and let their machines collect dust on your fees after February 14th. You know what's going to happen in Fishhawk on January 1st? You're going to see everyone you saw last year running the trails for about three weeks so that nagging injury comes back up and then they're gone. All of a sudden, you know who's just pumped up? Pumped up for this January 1st? All the manufacturers of keto foods this year. Like, this is our time. Rise up. You know who's bummed out? The people who make the cereal that's all charms and no lucky. Like, that's, <laughs> I literally have a bag of that in my house right now. Because we make these changes and we know what's good for us. But if you don't believe that Jesus is coming, if you don't believe that your time is limited, if you don't have this perspective, if you focus on these other things, your focus will not be on God. Just like your eyes. Just like your eyes work. 
We are selective focusers. You can hold up a finger and look at it, and if you focus on your finger, everything else around it is blurry. You have to pull your finger down or look past your finger. And right now, we've got a hundred fingers in front of our faces, and Jesus is in the background screaming, just, I'm right here, and I'm coming soon. Live. And it will look different for all of us. Some of us tonight are going to, one of the micro churches is going to the, the, the Twin Creeks Retirement. We're partnering with Overflow Church to do their little Christmas program. And then in January, we finally got it on the schedule. Every second and fourth Sundays are our Sundays to hang out with the people at the assisted living home just up the street. Maybe that's you. Maybe you is saying, you know what? I go back in nursery every week, and those kids, they're just terrors in the night. I want to go back and just pray for those kids. I'm going to commit to holding babies every week at 9 o'clock, and I'm going to pray God's word over the infants. Because you know what I want for my kid? Someone to pray God's word over her, please, before she gets too old and it's too late. To teach them the Bible story. To go into the fourth and fifth graders who ask questions that are so intellectually like insane that we have to put our strongest Bible teachers in the fourth and fifth grade room. Like, if you better love your Bible if you're going in there because they're going to ask you some crazy questions. They're going to ask you questions about creation and science and faith. They're going to ask you questions about sexuality. They're going to ask you questions about death. And you better be prepared to go into the Word to answer them. If you're sitting here distracted by all of these things, you can't even see Christ through the focus. You need to reboot your life. Shut off your monitor and go one by one. Say, this is what I need to love Jesus more and love others more. I'm not going to get to finish this passage. I apologize. But, but I want you to read through it if you have time this week because ultimately it ends with this. If you focus on time, if you pay careful attention, as Paul says in Ephesians, to how you live, don't live as unwise people, but as wise people, making the most of time because the days are evil. So don't be foolish, but understand what the Lord's will is. Make the most of your time this week. 168 hours you have this week. 168. You're going to sleep however long you sleep. You know, maybe we'll throw 50 hours that way, 40 hours of sleep. You're going to work for 50 hours. That's still a lot of hours you have left. What do you do with those? What do you do with the hours that you're working? What do you do with the hours that you're sleeping? I can tell you this week, I've been so convicted. I've tried to scale back the amount of just like leisure time. Don't need to play these games. Because I thought one morning, what if there was a timestamp on top of Savannah? And it was 70 years from now. Would that change the way that I interacted with her? Absolutely. What if there's a time, time stamp on me that was 12, 12 months from now? Would that change? Absolutely. So trying to live with this urgency is what Paul is driving us towards. But to live in this urgency with freedom, you're going to make mistakes, and that's why we have a God of mercy. That's how this whole passage started. A guy who was gripped by God's mercy became faithful. If you are struggling with wanting to watch this or wanting to do this activity or wanting to waste time and you know it, don't say this. I'm going to buckle down and be better with my time. I promise you, most of you will fail. This is why New Year's resolutions fail. We cannot do it in our own strength. Here's how Paul does it. 
He looks at God's mercy over and over and over and over and over again. Memorize the verses. They're listed there on the, the tear-off part of your bulletin. Matthew 5, 7, blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. Hebrews 4, 16, therefore let us approach the throne of grace with boldness so that we may receive mercy. Go before God and say, Lord, I need to see your mercy, experience your mercy. You're not going to change long term unless you're the type A hyper-driven person by just white knuckling it. The way that Christian change happens, the way that spiritual growth happens is when we focus on what God has done for us. And we become so enraptured with that thing that it makes us want to change. This year, I'm, I try to read the Bible with a new perspective. And uh, usually it's a, a study thing. So I'm like, okay, I don't want to, I've, I've done the, read the Bible and think about everything that says money. Read the Bible and stop when it talks about the spirit. Read the Bible, blah, blah, blah. This year I said this. I've been a Christian now for 20 years. I'm going to read the Bible like I've never read it before. Just I'm going to try to put all of my seminary out of my brain. And I read the first eight chapters of Genesis doing this. And whatever mercy God gave me, I was on my couch and I was like, no. He killed him. His brother just killed his brother. I've wanted to do that. They were naked. God made things by speaking. Boom. We forget because we're church people. They were just like, yeah, yeah, God made them. God's the creator. God's the creator. Think about it. Next time you read Genesis, which is going to be January 1, Bible reading plan, read it as if you've never read it before. It's mind imploding. And it's, it's caught me up again. And I'm like, this is you, God. And I'm thinking, if I didn't know anything about the Jesus part, and this is all I have as a Hebrew person, what am I learning about you, God? Man, you're patient. I could be a more patient father just by reading the book of Exodus. I don't need to read all the parenting verses. I got to watch dad, God be a dad to a bunch of stubborn, whiny people who are pining for food. That's exactly my life. And it's exactly the Hebrews walking through the desert, the Israelites in the desert. So what is it going to be for you? What's going to stir your affections? And are you going to live with this urgency? Don't try to white knuckle it. Be intentional. Make plans if that's your thing. But look at the cross. Look at the birth of Christ. Look at the death of Christ and let that change your heart. And if you are struggling, saying, I keep looking at it, I keep thinking about the mercy of God, but I'm still not changing. Text me this week and say, hey, I'm struggling. Can we meet at a cemetery? And we'll do it. I love it. We're going to go to the cemetery right off Riverview Road. It's right behind 301. And we're just going to walk. And if you don't want to do that with me, I wouldn't if I were you, because I get a little weird in cemeteries. Find a cemetery on your own and walk through it. And remember that above your head, God has a date. And when you walk through your door, look at your spouse, remember they have a date. When you're fighting with your spouse, when you're in an argument with your neighbor or coworker, remember that above their head and above your head, there's a date. And we have this opportunity to live with urgency, to love God and love others, or to ignore the urgency and just make life all about us and our leisure and comfort. It's your choice. I pray you would look into the ocean of mercy and let God change you. Let's pray. Father, it's a... Uh, this idea of time and your coming judgment, the coming of you, is, it scares part of my soul, Lord, to know how many people will be caught unaware, how many people will might be concerned with something else at the moment of your return. 
Lord, I pray that when you rip the sky open and come back, I'm somewhere in some chair praying to you already, and we can just pick up the conversation. Lord, I pray that I'm not doing something dumb. And it's not that there's no leisure time, Lord. Just make all of my time beneficial. Make all of our time purposeful, loving. Let us use all of these tools around us to connect with people, to build a relationship, to show light where there is darkness, to show hope where there is hopelessness, to bring love where there's apathy. Lord, we are your people. We are your body. We are your army. Help us to live with that same urgency that Paul lived with. In Jesus' name, amen.